better than expected. And I know that that sounds terrible, but he has not had great transitions. Fifth to sixth was not good. Um, and then each six to seven, seven to eight, he's struggled that first nine weeks hmm. every year. And I don't know. I mean, I know he was an early on, like he had the early, he was one of the mm -hmm. earliest mm -hmm. maturers mm -hmm. body wise. So mm -hmm. I don't know if his brain is clicked something on over the summer or not. I know that our conversations are getting more mature, mm -hmm. obviously, mm -hmm. but he seems to be handling his coursework well. He's handling the sports stuff well, because uh, it's a lot of before and after school. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't used to that much. You know, junior high basketball is very low maintenance. Mm -hmm. You practice during period, you have one game a week, whatever. Right. They're doing before and after school, and they're not even in season. Yeah. Um, but he, with what's crazy is he has a sports management class, which is a blow-off class. Mm -hmm. that he has a zero in. So that's his lowest grade. As always. Does it get any lower? <laughs> zero. How do well, you get a zero? He has a zero on one assignment. Is okay, what I, that's what I that's... meant. So he has all A's and then that one's like a 78. And I'm like, can you at least turn the thing in for a 50 or something? Right. Because it's so early in the year that even one zero brings it down. Yeah. So like, this is supposed to be a blow-off class. You know, you're making A's in algebra and like all so, these things. So, quick story. You may need to say what I had to say to Nolan. I said, Nolan, you're you're doing good in all your classes, but you're not doing it. It was an elective class, and I was like, Why are you not doing the homework and turning that in? He was like, Well, I'm focusing on all the main classes more. I said, Yeah, but this one counts too. He's like, No, it's an elective. It's like. Oh, it goes into your GPA. That doesn't mean elective participation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't mean electively graded. Like you still so anyway, have to do it. We yeah. had to have that conversation. Yeah. But I've it been, still counts. Yeah. So he so other than that one and it's one assignment in one class, so I'm not gonna be critical. I think he's done very well. Probably his best transition uh, ever. Has been to ninth grade. Mm -hmm. And then Jenna, first year was rough. Of freshman year? Mm -hmm. or at A&M. Or college? Yeah, of okay. college. Okay. Yeah, Jenna, first year at A&M, last year was rough. This year, and she's got hard classes. She's taking organic chemistry and calculus at the same time, which I told her, you must just want to be miserable like for the, the next life. four months. <laughs> um, but she is carrying good grades right now. She's being more active in the school, mm. which is why you send a kid to a university, mm -hmm. is to get the experience. Mm -hmm. And last year, I just felt like she stayed in her apartment the whole time, but she's going to all the football games. She's on campus a lot more, so I feel like she's getting more acclimated and, and, and integrated into having kind of the feel of the mm -hmm. university. So, you know, that's a, that was a big concern for us going out of that first year. So I told Amy last night, I was like, so they both kind of have it figured out right now? I was like, I can't remember the last time they both kind of had it figured out at the same time. Don't question it. Yeah. Just go so I'm just like, yeah, just <laughs> maybe we did teach them something after all. You know what They're I mean? getting it. Because, man, it's always, if not one, the other, you know, which... Someday they won't need us at all. Don't say that. I know, but you know what I mean. Don't you say they that. They won't need us in this capacity, you know, and we'll miss it. We'll miss the chaos. Um, but it's also pretty cool watching them figure it out. Yeah. yeah. In, a, in a sad way. Don't cry. I am like, shush. So with all the constant changes happening um, in the market that we've seen, even just from January this year, mm -hmm. With the constant changes, what is your anticipation for um, what things are going to be doing in the next 30 days? Sure. Um, well, I will say that I've seen a lot of markets, but no one has seen this one. So from January to, let's just say yesterday, we've shed almost 1,600 basis points on interest rates. 
which is unheard of. Mm -hmm. We haven't even finished quarter three. 1,600 basis points. So rates are basically double what they were January 6th. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the positive news, if there is some. Um, yes, please. <laughs> yeah, there is positive news. Positive news is, is on our side, the mortgage side of things is built with a lot of tools, right? Mm -hmm. So as markets change, we have tools that we can use to get people accustomed and acquainted to what the new reality is. Right. So, you know, we have permanent buy downs where you can use money to buy your rate down permanently. We're advising against that right now. I'll get to why in a moment. Temporary buy downs, which we are advising to do, mm -hmm. where you can have up to 2% lower rate for the first year or two, because we do think this is temporary. Right. Um, and even just a change in mindset and the positive news I have, the conversation I'm having with a lot of people right now is we're getting more contracts with seller concessions or price reductions than without. So instead of taking the reduction in price, the math works better for you right now to take concessions. Mm -hmm. So here's why. If you know your payment's gonna be a couple hundred more than it was in March, you need to be saving as much money on cost of entry. Because if you can save eight grand, nine grand, 10 grand in concessions, right? Which is not unheard of on maybe a three or $400,000 deal. So right. you might be able to get that instead of a reduction. Right. If you can save 10,000, but your payment's 200 higher, that takes 50 months to break even. So basically just, hey, leave the 10,000 over here, yep. bring 200 a month over here right. until we do your refinance and you're going to win. Right. You're actually going to make out better than you would have buying in March. And I don't think people quite have grasped that yet. That I agree. From an economic standpoint, you could actually make a better purchase mm -hmm. right now than you did in March. Because let's just say rates go to four and a half next summer. Prices are going to go up. Mm -hmm. Competition's going to go up. Right. Seller concessions are going to go away. So you might end up not getting 10,000 concessions and paying 10,000 more. If you end up losing a net of $20,000 to save 200, that's a hundred months. That means it would take you 8.3 years to break even over buying right now. Right, and I think you hit the nail on the head. With that. There's actually two points, right? One is that um, the rate that you're going in at isn't the rate you have to keep. Mm -hmm. But right now you're not having to pay twenty, forty thousand dollars over ask price. Mm -hmm. And when those interest rates do go down, we're going to see more competition. 100%. So I think that and we're all guilty of this, looking at the now. Yep. I think it's so important that we tell people what things will look like later mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, I mean, if you wanna know what it looks like when rates go down, you just lived it right. for the last two years yeah. when rates go down quickly, right? Mm -hmm. So with rates being six plus or whatever, like right now, they're six plus. You can look in the news, they're six plus. They're getting high. I think we're getting close to six and a half, which is kind of what I called in March. I don't know that they're going to stop there. Right. I don't know. Um, but if you want to know what happens when rates retreat quickly, we just lived it. Right. Tons of competition, mm -hmm. tons of people wanting to buy, tons of people wanting to put their money to work. Right. Yep. The other thing is, is you've got investors that they want to put the money in real estate right now because they're not making it in the stock market. That's right. Okay. So they're looking for yep. deals too. Okay. But they're not looking for deals that are 20, 30 over. Right. They're looking for deals that they can buy and create inventory. So with them creating inventory, plus people still listing their homes for sale, I think that the, we've talked about this before, the high-end second home market, I think that's a soft point that you could get some potential mm -hmm. deals at. So focusing on how much can I save getting into the home right now versus how much higher is my payment, it's just a mindset shift. It is, and I think that that really needs to come um, from the lenders and the agents, both. Um, you know, the interest rate might be higher, but I don't know anyone that kept the same interest rate and paid off their loan mm -mm. on a 15 or 30 year mortgage. Mm -mm. It just doesn't happen. So the lower sales price is the advantage right now, and the interest rate can be adjusted later. 100%. The other thing that I'll add is, let's say you do save 10 grand on your closing costs right now, right? Mm -hmm. And you're paying 200 more a month. So that's gonna take 50 months to break even. Right. Two things are likely. One, 
you won't be in that loan right. 50 months from now. Right. And two, you may not be in that house 50 months from now. That's right. Because if rates go to four and a half and now you have this equity because home prices went up, you might sell and upgrade again. Mm-hmm. Every house I've bought, I've refinanced within two years. A hundred percent. Because you get it situated where you want it, right. you obtain some equity, and then you take advantage of that because when you're in a better equity position, you get a better deal. The, the price is always ma- needed to make more sense. Correct. And, um, and so I think we, we just need to have those conversations more with, with people and letting them know the interest rate should not scare you away. Yeah. And my first house was 6.25, and that was average at the time. Yeah, I think mine was 6.5, six, six, five, six, yeah. five. Now, houses have appreciated a lot more, but yeah. if you can qualify for a home and one of your goals is to buy a home, or if you just want to build wealth through real estate, right. as soon as you can qualify to buy is when you buy. Right. doesn't matter what the right. market is. That's right. As soon as you can qualify to buy, that is when you buy. Historically, that's always been the way to do it. As soon as I can human, if if you want to build wealth and home ownership is a is a is a goal of yours, the moment that you can qualify, that is when you buy a house. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what the rate is, because that price is what you're going to be able to lock in, because those are not going down. Right. We're not looking at a recession like we had in 08 because it's not based off of bad lending practices. It's not based off of hyperinflated values. Okay. This is based off of economic policies and printing too much money. Right. So now we have inflation. Right. So we have to, you know, raise interest rates to stop spending so we can get things under control. So this is all, I don't think people understand. This is all part of the plan. Once you have a ton of inflation, you have to stop the economy. Right. You have to raise rates. You have to do everything you can to hit the reset button mm-hmm. so that apples don't cost five bucks and gas isn't six ten. Yeah. You have to do these things to reset the economy. And uh, I think the rule that has always worked, if you look at 2010 to 2019, if you have rates in the fours, so 4% rates, mm-hmm. 4% appreciation, mm-hmm. And four percent unemployment—that's pretty balanced. Yeah. And I don't mean to deduce the entire GDP of America into four thing and three things, right? But when those three things are all four-ish, it works. Yeah. You have balanced employment, interest rates are good, homes aren't going up too much. If you can kind of do that, very easy uh, to predict how to do business and how to invest in real estate. But if you're not a real estate investor, the time to buy is as soon as you can. That's right. And going back to 08, we were both in we were both in the industry. We're pretty we're pretty blessed in this area. We didn't get as big of a hit as mm-hmm. New York, California. There was um, other areas that really got hit mm-hmm. in 08. I feel like, and I you know let me know your thoughts on this. I feel like our area was more affected by the stop of space flight, really, than the crash. There was a few, you know, short sales here and there and foreclosures, but you didn't see signs lined mm-hmm. up on streets like you did in other areas. Sure. Yeah, I think part of that is, and a lot of people don't know, is in Texas, we have our own lending constitution mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that they only meet every two years to make changes to. Okay. So since the state of Texas started to allow home equity loans, we've had a cap of 80% of the value of your home. Right. That saved our butts Mm -hmm. in 2008. Mm -hmm. Because I've worked and been licensed in other states where we would jokingly say, uh, this is a birthday refi state. Like, hey, it's my birthday, give me my equity. They just do it every year. And they get up to how much? 90, 95%. Back then, very right. high, wow. right? So they would just call, jokingly say birthday, but once a year. And then, and then even loan officers are calling saying, hey, it's been a year. Do you want to redo your loan, get your equity? It's just a way of life. That's what they do. And they're doing it in California, New York, in mm-hmm. those markets where you have really runaway appreciation, right? right? So you buy a house for 600, next year you take out 100. Mm-hmm. Next year you take out another 100. Next year you take out another 100. And they're really supplementing the real estate market by taking out their equity and you can't do that mm-hmm. in Texas. Right. So when something crashes, everybody that accessed equity still has 20%. Yep. 20% is a huge correction. It is. 
is. So as long as you don't go more than 20% in your correction, the state of Texas has a built-in, like, safe. Mm -hmm. You know, we just don't allow you to take out equity past that point. Right. And so even though it can be um, a deterrent or an annoyance when you want to access your equity, in a different climate where you get into a tough market, mm -hmm. it's a built-in protection, not for you, but for everyone. Right. No, I knew that Texas had that. I didn't know that others Don't. did it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. So we would have people literally once a year, every year, they would redo their loan and take out whatever available equity they had. Wow. Paid two or 3000 in closing costs to get seven, which makes no sense. Right. Um, but it's normal. That's just what was happening. Okay. And I think some of that's changed. I think now, you know, on a FHA cash out, it's 90%. So they still make sure there's stuff some in there. I, I, yeah. I mean, they don't, they don't push it as high as, as they used to, which is good. I mean, that was part of it. You know, whenever foreclosures are coming or, you know, banks need to renegotiate your mortgage and there's no equity there, mm -hmm. there's nothing that can be done. They have to foreclose. Right. So being that our state and area, um, and we live in a very blessed job market too. We do. We have tons, of, tons of available employment. Yes. So uh, I think our, you know, greater Houston area being one of the biggest six markets in the country, mm -hmm. it has a lot of insulation around housing crashes. Mm -hmm. One with the equity piece, two, very good job market. And it's very diverse too. We have some tech, we have some government contracts, we have oil. Mm -hmm. We have, uh, uh, we have in the state of Texas, lots of companies are bringing their um, headquarters here. So right. it's a very diverse state as far as the, where the jobs come from, right. right? Even some manufacturing, I mean, it's all here. So I think it's interesting that, you know, even though we are, we're considered one of the top six markets, I think that, you know, obviously I'm biased, but I think it's one of the, probably the number one most insulated. Mm -hmm from economic climate. Mm -hmm. So I think it's I think it's always going to be in a good spot. Yeah, I agree and one of the things that you you touched on is you know when all the foreclosures are coming up I think that's one of the things one of the reasons why we didn't see that happening um, in 08. And so then I've had people asking me recently and you may have gotten this too. Well, all the people that paid over, you know, tens, thousands, I think the highest I saw someone go was 60,000 over ask price. Well, if our market crashes, that's the word that we're hearing the most right now, mm -hmm. right? Crash. I would love to eliminate that word. Mm -hmm. um, it's, there's adjustments, a crash, you know, it comes to a halt, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And so with, um, with the adjustment of the market, are all those people going to be upside down and trapped in their houses now? Here's why they're not. And I think this is a piece that people don't understand. So if they obtained a mortgage, if they paid cash, what does it matter? Right. They're not trapped because mm -hmm. they have all of the all of the available equity is still there. But if you attain a mortgage, let's say you're buying a house for five hundred, mm -hmm. and you decide I'm going to bid five fifty. If you obtain a mortgage, we still require a down payment. So not only did you have to pay the overage, but you had to pay the down payment too, which builds equity, mm -hmm. right? And in the state of Texas until that equity reaches 80% of the original appraised value or the new value, you can't access it. Mm -hmm. So we've now put you in a place where, where, where are you gonna downfall? If anything, you lost the extra money that you paid, but you didn't put the security, which is the title of the property, in a vulnerable position because you still paid money into the perceived value at the time of purchase, right. even though you paid the extra in cash. Yeah. So the, for, the home doesn't foreclose. You might've lost the 50 grand that, that came, you chose that, to pay over. That you right? chose to pay over, yeah. but you didn't, the, the actual equity was still put into the home mm -hmm. through the down payment too. So a lot of people that were transient coming from other states, they're like, I'll pay the over and 20%. Right. That's not going to be a foreclosure. Right. So let me ask you this. Why aren't other states following Texas, <laughs> uh, following the way Texas does things? I don't know. We've always, <laughs> we've always been a very independent state, obviously. Yes. Uh, and we're really proud of that. However, I think that, you know, it's really difficult to take away something that's been there. Mm -hmm. If the general population is used to being able to do something 
and since 2008 it hasn't been broken, why would they change it? I think they'd have to get bit again before they would decide to make a material change like that. And most states don't have their own lending constitution. Right. They just don't. They just go off of whatever the federal guidelines are. Texas is one of the few mm -hmm. that has rules that supersede the federal guidelines. Yeah, and in other ways too. You know, I have an uncle in California and he's got, I think it's called Prop 13, where basically his tax rate will stay the same mm -hmm. forever and ever. Well, they have to right? do that. It was his parents had it and it, same house went to him. <clears throat> and let's just say, you know, I think his house is maybe worth 1.2 right now. And he pays about $300 a year. Yeah. And that's just In taxes. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But if that property ever changes hands, that's the thing. It's going to be a ton. And what I recently learned, just because I found it so fascinating that this this is even happening, it could carry with him. So if he chose to sell that and move, now there's specific counties that allow that, it would transfer to that new property as well. Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, but and then so anyways, we're looking at things, and I know I've been talking to you a lot lately about a trust and and protecting property in it. Um, you know, and, and other states don't do ladybird deeds, and so Texas is unique, and I'm all about it. Well, I think that the trust is a huge thing since you touched on it, because I don't think people understand that. Just, you know, I'm I don't stand to inherit anything from my parents, and I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. However, if I leave something to my children, they're going to be taxed incredibly high mm -hmm. on capital gains, et cetera, for the right. growth of any properties that we own. From the time that we own them until the time we pass, unless if they're not unless they pass through a trust. Right. And when people talk about generational wealth through real estate, don't skip the step of the trust. Exactly. Because if you That's skip so the step, important. if you skip the step of the trust, yes. you set yourself back That's at right. least one generation. That's right. Because you're gonna have a tax burden that could be potentially tens of thousands, maybe a hundred thousand dollars. And that sets you back maybe an entire generation. If you've accumulated wealth to a certain point and then in one day you have to take 10% of it away, mm -hmm. it takes years mm -hmm. to get that back through general appreciation. Right. So I think that bringing awareness around the trust is a big deal um, because I think if you miss that step, if you're planning on creating wealth through real estate, if you skip that step, then it's not going to, the result will not be what you intended. Yeah, that's something that I've been very intentional with, reaching out to all of my clients and talk, talking to them to, about the importance of it. Um, whether they only have one house or they have multiple homes, mm -hmm. you know, because I want to know what some of their goals are. Maybe they only have one house right now, but they intend to build on that. So the importance of a trust and just making them aware of what it is, how it protects their assets, and the tax benefits of it as well. Yeah. So one of my goals and, you know, the more I speak it, the more it's real. So I have to do it. So I'm going to continue to talk about it. Uh, and I'll use a trust for it is I want to build a uh, build for rent duplex mm -hmm. community of 35 duplexes. So 70 doors. Okay. Build the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And there's two reasons I want to do this. One, to build wealthy real estate and pass it to my children. Mm -hmm. And two, one of the things that people don't understand is you do not pay taxes on debt, mm -hmm. right? right? So I'm gonna use this as a debt service for income. Mm -hmm. So every time I pay it down a certain amount, mm -hmm. I can take that amount back out. I pay it down through the rent, mm -hmm. right? But if I take that amount back out, mm -hmm. whatever I take out is non-taxable. Because right. it's debt, it's not income, right? right? So if mm -hmm. I can pass that through the trust also, mm -hmm they will continue to be able to access that equity and cash that out and there's no taxes paid on that debt. Right. So if it's a five, six, eight million dollar project, every time you pay it down two million, you take out two million, mm -hmm. there's, no ca there's, no, mm -hmm. there's no taxes paid on that. Right. And I think that very few people understand how to execute that, but that is why that's a very high priority for me to complete that project so that it gives us a couple of different vehicles um, you know, there's a lot of depreciation available and there's lots of tax implications for it, but rolling that into a trust and then using it as a debt service to create income is something that I think 
people don't understand. Right, and that, that the amounts adjust as well depending on who's in office and, and what they decide. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the highest it's tried to get up to is 11, and I think right now it's either five or seven, um, and I know that it's proposed that it might go down to two million. So mm -hmm. anything over two million, and that's that's a big jump from five to two. Mm -hmm. So just something else that people need to think about as well. Yeah, but you know, protected creating protected assets is something that uh, you might not think you need to think about, but anyone that owns a property needs to think about it. Absolutely. Uh, one of the best things that was explained to me by the attorney, I think she summed it up and said, it's it's the last gift you give your family. Mm -hmm. and, and that's so true. Um, it is very necessary and it's uncomfortable. Let's be honest. It is uncomfortable to talk about it, yeah. right? Because you gotta have what tough, is it? You got to answer tough questions. And you got to answer tough questions and it's uncomfortable because it's thinking about you not being present, you not existing. That's not cool. That's not fun to talk about, but it's necessary. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And you have to cover every scenario. What yeah. if it's just you? What if it's just your spouse? What if it's both of you? What if it's you and your only surviving heir? Then what happens? You have to cover every single scenario. Yeah. And that's not fun. It's not. To have those conversations. It's a tough day, so just be yeah. prepared, you know, when you're doing it, that it's but it's going to save fuel. And it's a tough day, right? You you're going through some really tough scenarios, really tough questions. And then after it's done, you have so much peace. Yeah and knowing that everything is going to be exactly as it should, that everything will be taken care of, and there there will be nothing for your family to worry about. And you're That's protecting great. everything. Yes. And you're protecting them against an enormous inheritance tax bill too. And, or just having to think. Yep. What would they have wanted? Yeah. It's already all laid yeah. out for them. You don't have to do it. You can right. grieve. Right. Everything's accounted for. Exactly. Yeah. That's and a so huge gift. Of mine. Yeah. Huge gift. Favorite movie? <laughs> I don't know why that takes so long, but my favorite <laughs> my, my my favorite movie is Shawshank Redemption. Okay, what's your go-to song? I don't know that I have a go-to song. I, the whole Hamilton soundtrack. Okay. If you could have lunch with anyone that is deceased that is not a relative, who would you pick? Not a relative. Not a relative. Abraham Lincoln. Okay. I think that would be an interesting conversation. And I'm curious if this one's going to take longer to answer. You can have any car for a month. What car are you driving? Uh, 1956 Jaguar XK150. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I know you love cars, so I thought maybe that one would, mm -hmm. would take you a little bit longer. One thing that you want to make sure that you do in the next five years? Uh, I'm really focused on legacy right now, uh, just in general. So my next five years is focused on taking my entire body of work over the last 20 years and just giving it away as much as I can to as many people as I can um, so that I don't look back at everything that I did and be like, well, that was a waste. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's just a shift for me. So in the next five years, that's my thing that I absolutely am spending all my time doing. Now, if you asked me a different way, like one, what's somewhere that you want to go in the next five years? Like I got to go to like Bora Bora mm -hmm. or the Maldives or Maldives mm -hmm. or something like one of those super Fiji, one of those super remote places. It's on the list. I got to do it. Um, and then I think I'd like to go to Scotland too. Okay. That's where my dad's side of the family's from. Okay. So I think it'd be cool. It's such an old part of the world. Yeah. You know? Favorite book? Probably The Essence of John Wooden. Okay. I can read that one, and that's a business book, mm -hmm. but I can read that one probably anytime and get a new outlook because it just depends on what lens am I coming to the book in? Mm -hmm. But there's just so many good, you know, he was a coach, uh, but coaches are leaders. Yep. And um, 
He just had a very humble upbringing. I identify with it a lot, and I always draw something new out of it. If I'm in a like super funk mm -hmm. as a leader, I can pick that book up. It's always in my bookshelf in my office. Okay. I can pick it up, and within 20 pages, I've got something. Interesting. So, okay. It's not a very long book, mm -hmm. but it's just his story and a lot of his uh, quick quotes and just a super wise person. Okay. That, that would be That would be a good one to have lunch with too. Okay. Who's your favorite athlete? Nolan Ryan. Okay. Growing up, he was the guy. Um, and I just watched the Facing Nolan show and it like reinstated that belief for yes. me that he's my favorite athlete. Yeah. Now there are athletes that I like for different reasons, but right. you know, he grew up in Alvin. He was on the Astros, like intimidating you know, when he got hit in the lip by Bo Jackson, he kept <laughs> pitching. Just He's just a man's man, but at uh -huh. the end of the day, he played baseball uh, to, to learn, to, to be a, he wanted to be like a vet, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. He was ready to quit. He was like, baseball is whatever, it's a means to an end. Um, and then now he spends all his time with animals. Like, he just always stayed true to himself. He stayed true to his wife. He stayed true to his family. Mm -hmm. I think that's an incredible role model. Um, and I think that, you know, athletes are not built like him anymore. I agree. What was your, what was the most interesting thing for you in that uh, documentary? That he never had a pitching coach until he was on the Angels. Yeah. Not one. No yeah. one ever taught him how to effectively pitch until he got traded to the Angels. Yeah. And that really struck a chord with me because how many people in all walks of life have the talent and ability to do something and are never coached? Right. That's very true. And that's what I took from that moment. Yeah. I was like, man, just imagine how many Nolan Ryans there are in business, you know, mm -hmm. that just never get instruction or coaching or anything and he's good at, he was good enough as a person to say well I'll just do something else right it's fine I'm, I'm at peace with it it didn't make him a quitter right it was just I got a wife and I got kids and you know if baseball's not working out I'll just be a vet no big deal I love the part that his wife was the one really pushing him. yeah his wife was he said the hardest you know, person on him was his wife, not his coaches, yeah. and I thought that was pretty great. And she's this little, like, <laughs> you know, firecracker, yeah. I bet, you know? And uh, my buddy knows that family a little bit, mm -hmm. and he says they are exactly what you think, mm -hmm. you know? None of them are, think they're above anyone, they're humble, um, but he, he knew that he could intimidate people, and uh, he used it to his advantage. And I loved watching him. Yeah. It was, it was a really good documentary. One of the things that I thought was so interesting was, you know, they always say, that arm, that arm, how did he build that arm? And when they said he would wake up at like 4.30 in the morning and throw newspapers mm -hmm. every morning, I was like, oh, my God, how simple is that? But that does build arm strength. Oh, his shoulder and as a pitcher's mom, so I'm going, yeah. You're like, How many houses out. did he deliver to? And he just built that, and he did it every day. Mm -hmm. So that was that was a big wow. Yeah. It was doing something consistently, yep. right? Every day. Yeah. And so. that, I mean, his shoulder was probably so strong, you know, from such an early age. Yeah. You know, they don't, uh, the year that he broke the single season strikeout record, he did it in the 11th inning of a game that he started. Mm-hmm. That would never happen today. Right. Right. That would never happen today. Now a pitcher wants to get five or six innings so they have mm -hmm. a qualified start so that if their team ends up with more runs, they get the win. You know, they don't even push for complete games. You have pitchers that come out of no hitters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because pitch count, you know, yeah. which I get. I understand because... I do believe that you can injure yourself by going too hard. I do. But I couldn't imagine coming out of a no-hitter in the sixth inning because I had thrown 75 pitches. That's tough on a player. Um, they want to go. They, they want to go. And 
Um, I will say when the Astros played the Angels, we were at that game, and Shohei Otani, who my son thinks is yeah. so awesome. He's a generational athlete. He, he pitched, and then they put him in right field. I had never seen that before, and I thought that was pretty cool and different. You just don't see someone on the mound in MLB then go to right field. They say he can play first, too. Yeah. I know my son my son just is a huge fan of his. So, so when he does get his new contract, you know, Mike Trout got $400 million. Mm-hmm. What do you pay a guy that could win a Cy Young and a batting title? $500 million? I mean, what do you, what do you pay someone like that? Yeah. And whatever he's, it is, you're going to make it up. <laughs> you're going to make the money back. Yeah, he's a one-off. And it's funny that you brought that up of him hitting, too, because he is a very good hitter. In fact, um, we got to see him at the Home Run Derby um, in Colorado. He got tired quicker. And so that was, that was something we thought was kind of interesting. You know, he pitches, and, and pitchers do have to build their stamina, you know, their legs and their arms to be able to pitch continuously. But, like, on the second round, he you could tell he was tired. Laboring, yeah. Unlike all the others. Yeah. yeah. So he still did well. Yeah. I mean, he's a pitcher. He can crush the ball, though. Yes. And you, the thing that people don't understand is having him on the team, you know, they've missed the playoffs eight years in a row. Mm-hmm. But if they made the playoffs, you get an extra roster spot. Yeah. Just because he's on your team. Right. Because he's a starting pitcher and plays every day. Yeah. You get, a, you get to carry an extra person just because he's on your team. So what is the value of that? We're going to find out in like 18 months. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting. But, uh, you know, the Astros were going to make a play at trying to get him for this year mm-hmm. because we could have him the rest of this year and next year. We would never be able to re-sign him. Right. But we felt like the next two years we would be contenders for two years. Um, but that didn't happen. But, yeah, I think he's a... You know, there's a couple thi- there's a couple of different things happening right now in baseball, which is why I think it's um, the best professional sport in the country. One, I w- would love to see Pujols hit 700. Mm-hmm. He's just played for so long, and even as someone that grew up with him destroying the Astros <laughs> and crushing my dreams on several occasions, I still want to see the guy get there. Yeah, you know, because that type of consistency over a long period of time is something that I have the most admiration for. And then watching someone like a Shohei, Shohei Otani Coming up, come yeah. in and be like Babe Ruth 120 years later. Right. You know, there's just not been, a per- there was no one like that in the 60s or 70s, mm-hmm. right? It was 1920, 2020. I just now put that together. There's not, there's yeah. not been in a hundred years, yeah. another person like that. It's very exciting. Um, we have teenage boys, and I know they follow probably all the same stuff. And it's just really exciting for them to see someone like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think he's. I think he's. Um, he's very unique, and it's very cool to follow him. And, yeah. I, and he's just getting started. And he seems very humble too. He does. Yeah. Which I, which is important for our kids to have role models that are that way because I think humility is becoming less and less important in what's popular and in general society and I hold it in high regard so when I see people that are that way Mm -hmm. I hope that my son would gravitate to a person like that so the thing that I was going to ask you unless you want to give me more rapid fire I'm good okay so the thing I was going to ask you, and this is something that I would only be able to tell you, and we'll finish with this, is so we both have single sport-focused sons, mm-hmm. okay? When I was growing up, that was not a thing. Mm-hmm. Everyone played everything. It's become more and more normal, and it has become, in some ways, scrutinized, and my son only made the decision this year to go. Yours has always been primarily baseball, mm-hmm. but I know in junior high he did play other things, which mm-hmm. I think is incredibly important. But so I'm guessing ninth grade is when he made the decision I'm only doing baseball. Is that right for Nolan? 
Not necessarily. Um, he used to play football and baseball, and then he went to baseball and basketball. And in his freshman year, he was injured, so could not play anything. Mm -hmm. So his freshman year, he didn't get to play any sport. Um, and he got to play a little bit in baseball towards the end, but he had passed the, the basketball season. I'm curious to know if he intends to um, do basketball. However, basketball is the one sport that overlaps a little. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm not sure that that's something um, he would do, but it is encouraged, highly encouraged, that they do more than one thing. He's not going to do track or cross country. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious to see what he will do if he chooses to do something else. I know one of his buddies that plays baseball took up like um, doing kind of like CrossFit, like weightlifting. Okay. Like, like he want, like he's doing weightlifting on a very serious level. Okay. Um, I for a pitcher, no, you don't. That's you not don't do something. That. No, yeah. we are not going to do that. So I'm curious to see, but baseball is his. That's his jam, and I, I don't know that he will do something else. I do think he will stick with just baseball, because as a pitcher, and he also um, is an aggressive hitter. He is always working on something. He's mm -hmm. working on building his legs to be a better pitcher. He plays first base. So he's working on you know drills for Flexibility, that. Flexibility, everything. He's doing hitting. So every day he's focusing on a different thing for the position he's going to be in, whether he's on the mound or. Mm -hmm at the plate, behind the plate, you know, at bat or at first, I don't see him doing something else. And as you know, with your son, it's, it's also hard to force them or push them to add something else when that is their passion, that is, you know, that is what they are working at, um, perfecting and, and just getting really good at. Mm -hmm. I, um, so a lot of people say you should make them do more than one thing. And for me, this is new because, you know, football is my primary sport. And I, I, I could sense early on it wasn't going to be his. So I was prepared for the day to come that he would pick uh, to not play football. Mm -hmm. But I, I still struggle with, and I tell, I tell him, like, if you're not going to play anything but basketball, I need you to run track. I yeah. need you to do something. Because I just feel like when you do a different sport, it uses your muscles differently. It does. And it maybe is less chance of overwork or injury. And I really want him to have that. So I struggle with uh, just saying we'll do one. I struggle with it a lot. Mm -hmm. And with us both having sons that are um, close in age that both focus primarily on one sport, I was wondering what your opinion was on, you know, getting them to do something that makes their body work differently so that they don't get overworked. Because, you know, there are days that he'll get there at 6.15 uh, before school. He'll practice during the period. He has after-school workout. Then he comes home with five or six kids from his team. They play until we literally leave for AAU mm -hmm. practice. Mm -hmm. So he's played basketball from 6.15 to 9 that night. Mm -hmm. And I'm legitimately concerned for that amount of activity if it's over a prolonged period of time. Right. Well, you're absolutely right. It is important that they do something else because they do need to work other muscles. And I think any doctor will tell you that as well. Um, and you know, when you're seeing trainers and you're seeing coaches that specialize in something and they're saying, well, you've got to keep this muscle going. You've got to keep doing these, you know, certain workouts for this ability. Um, it, it's tough. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately, as a parent, you have to give them your advice and also listen to what they say you know, because it it's their time. And, yeah. and I one of the things that I worry about as well is burnout. If you're only doing one yep. thing at some point, you might get burnt out. Sure. I was really hopeful for your boy, though, when he hit one out of the park. I thought, okay, baseball fight. Hang on. Baseball fight. I know. Fight. He had such a good 12-year-old year. 
He like hit the most home runs. He had a really good year fielding. He started pitching a little bit. He threw the ball over 80 miles an hour at 12. Yeah. And then he was like, I'm done. Yeah. No thanks. He just was, it's just not his passion, right. you know? And I get that. Yeah. I get that you gotta love what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that, you know, I do want him to do more than just one thing because I do worry about the fatigue and I worry. Yes. You know, my son, I don't think, he, I, he does not, he tells me he doesn't have aspirations to be a pro mm -hmm. NBA basketball player. Mm -hmm. But I also don't want his journey to be cut short because he gets burnt out. You know, if he's meant to go play at a small school or if he's meant to only play till 12th grade or whatever, I don't want any of that to get cut short. I don't want him to quit next year because he's fatigued or just done with it. You know what I mean? So it's difficult because, you know, you want to support him, but at the same time, you want to make sure that you're kind of managing, like, is this too much? Is this too much? Because there's part of you that says, oh, well, they just, they're building a good work ethic. Right. But then you're like, but this is also a lot of time. Because when I was a kid, nobody, and, and I pitched a, a like maybe from nine to 14 years old. When when we were kids, no one said work on hip flexors, work on core strength. Work. It was just, here's the six points that you need to make sure you hit in your yeah. wind up and delivery, yeah. right? Can you get your, can you get your arm in the correct position? Are you staying on top of the ball so you don't injure your elbow? You know, little things like that. But there was no like, we're gonna do exercises to get, get more uh, flexibility or to build core strength or to have stronger shoulders. There was none of that. Um, we didn't have exercises and we didn't focus on how to increase spin rate. That didn't mm -hmm. exist. Right. You know what I mean? It was just, can you throw the ball hard? Great. <laughs> Let's focus on trying to be accurate. You know what I mean? Let's try to focus on consistency right. in like your foot hitting the same place and your body being in the same place and you being ready to field after you throw. There was none of this like micro exercise around the things that really increase velocity. Right. And uh, I know that that's what's expected um, of kids at that level. And for my son, it's uh, like they want, so when you talk about pitching specific exercises, they do vertical vertical jumping mm -hmm. specific mm -hmm. exercises. So training specific muscle groups to increase your vertical. But they're doing it so much. Right. You know, I worry about overwork. Right. And something that we have to watch with our boys too, because we both have very big boys. You know, those knees, all their bodies grew mm -hmm. super fast, rapidly, and are larger, and they are more susceptible to injury. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that I'm constant worrying, constantly worrying about with my son already having gone through, um, you know, an injury. It's a reflection. What could we have done differently? What, you know, what are we going to learn from this? How are we going to try to prevent this from happening again? And ultimately, though, the I think the biggest thing is hearing what they think. Because sometimes mm -hmm. I'll be like, no, you should do this or that. And then he'll tell me, well, I want to do this because, and he goes in, I'm like, that makes great sense. Yeah, okay. but it's from his perspective. Right, you know, like, okay, so I get it. you're hearing it from a different angle. Yeah, and here's, you know, why you may want to consider this instead and going through that. And it's just uh, this parenting thing, I tell you, especially with athletes. It's it's fun. Um, it's an and extra it is, layer. It is tough. Well, and going back to what you said when you played, there was a season of baseball and that was it. Yeah. Now there's travel. Well, same thing with basketball. There's select and you're traveling. So you're not just playing the one season in school. You're playing. Well, you're. Yeah. I'm trying to, you know, anyone that has played any sport at, at any level of decent competition the, the, the one thing I'm trying to help my son understand is one day the game will be over. Right. Okay? It will end. Mm -hmm. And I'm just trying to keep you from having it end before it should. That's it. Yeah. 
That's all I'm trying to do. Yeah. Because there's a lot of, you don't ever know when that day is going to be. You don't know if it's going to be from longevity, de deteriorating skills, mm -hmm. lack of interest, burnout, injury. You don't know right. when the last time you competitively shoot a basketball is going to be, right? You'll know it later. And I'm just trying to make sure that when you get to that point, we've done as good of a job as we can before then. Yeah. Protecting you, uh, supporting you, um, helping you make good decisions because when that day comes, it's done. Yeah. You know, and it's not, you, you don't restart. Yeah. It's the beginning of another journey. And, uh, you know, he has the athletic ability to have that um, go longer than some other people. He's naturally gifted athletically. Mm -hmm. And if he puts in the work in a smart way, he can have that journey go longer. Mm -hmm. And that's all I'm trying to give right. him. Right, right. That's all I'm trying to give him. I'm trying to make sure that the end of your playing time, because it is a game, mm -hmm. doesn't end too soon, um, but that you also don't uh, make bad decisions between here and there that could affect your body or injury or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So it's tough, you know. Uh, I wish he still played football. And I say that because I liked football, <laughs> but then I go watch the games and I'm like, yeah, this is probably not for him. He's aggressive, but not in this way. You know yeah. what I mean? He doesn't, he looks like he's in his element playing basketball. Football, he definitely looks like is not his primary sport. Yeah. When he plays it, and you can tell. Mm -hmm. um, but, but he has the ability to be an incredible long jumper or high jumper. So I want him to still do track because it helps with even right. his vertical training. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's new territory for me, for him to only play one thing. Yeah. And it isn't the sport that I thought it would be. <laughs> so that's like a concession for me. I'm trying to be like, okay. I do appreciate the air conditioning though. That is nice. <laughs> unlike football, unlike baseball, you're in the AC, so it's not too bad. And there's no weather delays. Yeah. Yeah, that is nice. Nolan, I, I I think we'll try basketball again. And I felt like there was more injuries in basketball than there was in football. Well, people don't understand that basketball is a contact sport. Yeah, it absolutely is, especially the girls' basketball. We would stay and watch the girls play, and the girls are, yeah. Yeah, I mean, basketball is a contact sport. You use your body um, for leverage, almost the entire game mm -hmm. uh, so you do get banged up there's no pads you know when they hit heads they're hitting skull to skull yep. you know and it's always on accident obviously but when it when it does happen it's very painful mm -hmm. he's had some pretty rough uh, falls you know we've seen some uh, we were at a tournament not too long ago where the gym did not have a lot of space mm -hmm. between the end line and the wall and a kid broke his arm right here mm. this like he was running and then put his arm out and it just snapped it, you know? So things happen. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to just enjoy it and be supportive because I do know that just like it did with me and my mom told me the same thing, she continues to tell me the same thing. She's like, it's gonna end and you're gonna, and you're, and, and you're gonna wish it still happened. Yeah. So just, doesn't matter as long as he's still active just support whatever that decision is yeah because then you still have something to show up for mm -hmm. the hardest part is when you don't so you know I don't look forward to that day at all <laughs> because for It'll my be daughter because for my daughter when she decided she was done with competitive cheer she picked up FFA was mm -hmm. which was okay and we right. did our best to um, kind of rally around that so that we could support the thing that she was doing. But it was unfamiliar for us. You know, we hadn't done it forever. Mm -hmm. It was different. And then COVID hit, so we didn't get to do a lot of the things right. that we thought we would. And, um, you know, she really had a really tough last two years of high school. You know, my son's experience is going to be more similar to what ours was. Right. You get to go all four years, you're in person. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's getting to experience all the things. I think they have homecoming coming up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just watching him, I'm trying to slow it down. You know, when I'm not... When you find that recipe, let me know. <laughs> I'm just... I'm, what I mean is in my head. 
like when I'm in those moments, I'm really trying to like mentally be super checked in, be very aware and take it in and uh, not just be like, okay, well, when are we, is, are we leaving in the third quarter? Like, right. I, doesn't matter. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm trying to be very much in the moment because so much of work is so fast. You know, I have to make a thousand decisions a day. Mm -hmm. And then when you get home, you're like, okay, I need to make this three hours feel like the eight I just spent at work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Because that's the amount of time I have. Yeah. And, uh, so I don't have the recipe for it, but I am trying to do a better job of super present mm -hmm. in those moments. Yeah. You know, have a deeper relationship in understanding what's happening because my daughter's experience was so different. Right. You know, I don't feel like I probably did as good of a job. So I would like to do better this time. And I might finally see her. She's coming home, I think, this weekend for the oh, first okay. time since this semester started. So I'm very proud of her. She's doing a very good job uh, managing everything. Those are two very hard classes, mm -hmm. organic chemistry and calculus, and yeah. she seems to be handling it. So That's awesome. It's kind of like you watch them grow up like five times, you know, and I feel like I'm on the last lap with her, and I'm like, ooh, <sighs> I'm very proud of you, but still need me, please. Yes. Kind of. Yes. But not too much because I want you to know that you can do it. Yeah, right. I'm still adjusting to driving. Yeah. So that, that's tough. That's a tough one. Yeah. Every little bit of freedom they get, and they want it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even, oh. the, even if it hurts our feelings, they want it because it's like that's the next thing. You know, right. I can go see my friends, and I can take myself to school, and I don't have to do pickup line anymore or any of that stuff even though we probably are like you gripe about pickup line until you're not in it yeah. anymore yeah you no know? one said he wanted fast food the other day i was like can i ride with you can <laughs> i take a ride with you yeah although he had a friend over and his friend's parents gave permission for him to ride in the car with nolan and i said all right y'all go get dinner because we weren't going to be home i said y'all go get dinner and uh I'm like, hey, what'd y'all get? He's like, oh, McDonald's. I was like, oh, so y'all just went to McDonald's? Did y'all go get ice cream afterwards? He's like, no, we DoorDash. I was like, you DoorDash McDonald's? Yes. Okay. So if you've got a car. And it's like two miles. Full of gas. <laughs> it's like two miles from the house. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> hmm. Change them up a little bit. Sure. Okay. Favorite book? Relentless. Okay. Is that hard to answer because you read a lot of books? I that's the book I shared the most. Okay. So when I find that's the book I've given to more people. Okay. So you're like, this is the one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Favorite movie. The serious part, I'm like, there goes the serious one, and then there goes the fun one. Mm -hmm. I'd say The Green Mile. It's a great book. Great book and movie. I read the book too. Uh, favorite guilty pleasure movie. Like, you wouldn't think I like this movie, but I really like this movie. I love Varsity Blues. Okay. That's a good one. <laughs> it came out when I was in high school, I yeah. think. And... Texas football. That's right. This is really how it is, kind of. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I say, kind of. Yeah. Uh, maybe in Midland, Texas. It is that way. <laughs> uh, okay. Favorite hype-up song? Lose Yourself by Eminem. Okay. I could see that. Um, favorite place you haven't but want to vacation? My dream vacation that my husband has heard me say probably since we've been together is Bora Bora. Nice. I've looked into it. He's looked into it. It's going to happen. I, I feel like it's probably going to happen like when my son graduates. Okay. So my wife is not a great flyer. I think I've told you this before. Mm -hmm. So I think the only way I'm going to get her to any of those places is we're gonna have to do two weeks mm -hmm. and we're gonna have to do shorter flights all the way there and like it's spend a, long, a day yeah. places. Yeah. So like a day in England, a day in Turkey, a day in Singapore, like however you get there, we're gonna have to do it that yeah. way. And Which could be a flight. cool thing, uh, but it's gonna be different. We're not gonna be able to just do 24 hours at one time. Yeah. Which, you know, whatever gets us there. 
But I want like the on the water yeah. bungalow. Yeah. Like, we're doing it. We're going. Yeah. We're doing it. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be uh, in the couple's retreat place. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Um, who in all of history would you want to take on a girl's trip? Like, I want to go spend time, have fun, and get to know this person. That is deceased? Yes, that is okay. deceased in history. Okay. Non-relative. I will put that disclaimer in there. You and your tribe and... <laughs> well, I, when you're saying, like, fun, girls trip, I'm thinking, like, who am I going to want to dance with and no have champagne answer. with? And so then it's like Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm sure there's questions you want to ask her. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's questions I want to know, for sure. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. Um, when you retire, what is the one thing that you hope people know about you? Oh, that's a really good one. Because retiring in the real estate world is a rare, is a rare word, right? Mm -hmm. It's normally... You go till you go. Um, the one thing that I hope people know about me when I retire, um, I hope that they know I was passionate about not never looking at it as a job. Mm -hmm. Passionate about being, you know, um, helping people with their investment, making it the best experience for them. Um, I also make sure that I, I don't just, you know, help people through a transaction. I build a relationship um, with all of my clients and try to be a resource for them in all different things, mm -hmm. not even real estate related. Um, and so I guess I would say when I'm thinking of a word, which I don't even know if you said, go to one word. <laughs> but um, I guess I would just say passionate because I'm very passionate. I, I love people. I'm very passionate mm -hmm. about people, my friendships, what I do, you know. Um, and so I, I would hope that people feel it mm -hmm. when I'm with them or even when, whether I'm working with them or not. You know, I have plenty of clients that I know aren't going to buy a house or sell a house for a long time. Um, so I just hope people feel the passion that I have for what I do and how I love and the friendships that I, that I develop and relationships with everybody and connecting people. Okay. What would you tell 21-year-old Natasha? Oh. 21 was um, an interesting year for many different reasons. Um, Health-wise, I got married. I, I really think I would just say, trust your gut. You're gonna, you're gonna do it right if you just trust, trust your gut. You know, I think before 21, I already knew what my values and morals were. I, mm -hmm. I always stuck by them. And so it's always served me right. And like I said, I got married at 21 and um, still married. Got some bad health news at 21 as well. And that shaped a lot of what was coming next. Um, so I, I would just say... Trust yourself. Keep trusting your gut. Mm -hmm. It's going to always serve you best. It's a good one. I, uh, <clears throat> I would tell myself you have time because early on I wanted everything immediately. I wanted to build it immediately. I wanted to be successful immediately. I wanted to see the fruits of that success immediately. And <clears throat> now I understand so much more 
how important it is to build correct, not fast. And I don't know, I don't know that my 21-year-old self would listen, mm -hmm. but Same. I would like to at least tell right. my 21-year-old self that. It's interesting that you say that because at my 21-year-old self, I mentioned I had some big health problems and someone, I don't know, maybe two years ago said, oh my gosh, you've done so much, you do so much and you're so young. And I said, well, I kind of like five years of my life were really disturbed, um, if that's even the right word, but it was an experience, I guess, you know, one of those things that happens in life. But five years of my life was um, not getting to do all the things I wanted to do. Sure. Um, I was having to do some things that I was able to do with limits, right, sure. um, due to health reasons. So in and out of the hospital, you know, blood transfusions and surgeries and... Um, so when they said, why are you so rushed to do things? Why do you want to keep doing? Like, don't you get tired? When do you rest? I was hearing these things. And so it's interesting to hear someone's perception of you're doing a lot. And for me it was, but I feel like I lost five years mm -hmm. of being able to really do. You know, back to the college experiences. I didn't get to do that because of you know God had other plans mm -hmm. so you having that saying to yourself is is interesting and when people say that to me I'm like am I really am I really doing what I should be doing um, or am I in my mind trying to make up for something that I maybe I don't really need to make up for it was an experience it was life and it shaped ultimately it shaped me to who I am mm -hmm. so um, I, I did decide to take a step back and you know maybe it's just something I felt like I needed to prove to myself still having reflection yeah I mean that's a never-ending yeah that's a never-ending part of growth yeah and um, the other thing that I'll say just to piggyback off of you know what do you want people to to know about you is I I told my son the other day I said if I died tomorrow and you asked everybody in my organization do you think given the choice do you think he would pick people or profit oh yeah I if not every single one of them would say people mm -hmm. and I didn't do my job mm -hmm. yeah. that's that's how I try to be as a leader yeah well when you saw my reaction I'm like that's a no-brainer I know but <laughs> you know me for years yeah. you know it's not you gotta people have to learn that about you and I think that um, that's always my goal if every one of those people would say people all day never about that you're doing it right then, then i think you're doing it right